long story short, I just wanted to kill myself. So it was like different attempts basically led me in hospital. One attempt was in school, which they had to take, no, that was twice actually, they had to take me to hospital twice. And then they realised like what was going on. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I cannot stop smiling because I have two people literally in my house, in my kitchen, which is a totally different way than I've done podcasts before. And, and it's a double, it's a double whammy. So I've got Joel, I've got Stella, who I still call kids, no offense guys, but they're actually adults who have jobs now. They're adults with jobs, but we go way back because we cross paths in mental health charities, doing work around mental health and trying to change the narrative around it. But today, it's not even about that. It's really just about you guys' stories and uh, your wisdom. Because I feel like you guys have so much wisdom. Welcome to the show, Joel and Stella. Hi. Oh, wow, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so exciting to have you guys. I haven't seen you in a couple of months. So let's get into your stories, right? Tell us a little, first of all, tell us they're both pointing at each other. <laughs> Who's going to start? Um, First of all, tell me about your lives now, because I'm so excited about what you guys are doing and how successful you are. So just tell me, what are, what are the things that you're involved in? Stella, let's go for, to you first. So at the minute, I'm a student paramedic. So... <laughs> I just have this exciting face on. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. It takes up most of my time. So it's 50% uni-based and 50% placement-based. And actually, I finished my last placement block yesterday. So I'm back at uni on Monday, which is really weird, like changing from ambulance. Yeah, frontline to, to academic. Yeah. But it's going to be fine. It's going to be good. What was it like? Um, what did you have to do in, in the placement? All sorts of stuff. Really? So anything you get called to, you try and help. Because I'm first year, I'm not that useful all the time. Of course. So You observe, you yeah, get shouted so, at and told what yeah, to do. Sure. <laughs> I carried a lot of stuff for people. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I did lots of basic hobs. So... My crews would let me do the stuff like blood pressure, temperature. So you have to do it twice in the ambulance service and on the paperwork. You have to get two different readings at two different times, unless um, you're blueing your patient into hospital, in which case you're, you only need one. So they would just let me loose with that. I don't know. They let me do quite a lot of stuff. To you be just, fair. hey, you already sound like you know what you're doing. <laughs> you sound more like you know more than I do. So that's um, no, it was really good. good. I, to be quite a big part of it. And arguably the most important part of it is actually chatting to the patients. So I did lots and lots and lots of talking, 12 hours of talking. <laughs> and this, I think, um, <laughs> well before you got, you know, decided on this path and got into it, that's the stuff you were born to do. Based on your own experience, like uh, the stuff that prepares us for that is just second to none. It's often mm. personal. Cool. Joel. What are you doing in your life at the moment? Well, I work for a railway company. 
um, at London Terminal Station. I joined as a team leader, you know, just dispatching trains and living my best life, to be honest. I love that. And you both wear uniforms, which I wish you were wearing now, but (laughs) (laughs) which um, means you have probably more authority than I do in your aspect of the world. Uh, So it's exciting to have you guys. So as you know, this topic is around adversity. It's around the challenges that we faced and how we got through them so that people can just kind of learn about what are the steps that it takes to, to move from, you know, zero to hero. Heroes, both of you. This is hilarious. (laughs) You guys are shaking your head. I'm just so excited about this. Mostly because I've seen a little bit of how far you guys have come. I've been witness to parts of your life that have been pretty intense, uh, pretty full on, and could have become quite tragic. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's yeah. Very fair to it's say. very fair, isn't it? Yeah, it could have gone that way. Um, so first of all, let's g- give me a little bit of context just to what it was like growing up. Like, do you think mental health was talked about? Do you think you had the resilience or things that prepared you for like life in the world that you're in now? Life as a young adult. Yes and no. Yes and no. No one yes. No. Whoa. Oh man. <laughs> Tell us more about that. In terms of, like, from a personal point of view, like, my childhood, or just generally. So, in some respects, it was a bit hectic. But then I think I had to grow up in different ways Mm. to my peers. And I don't want to say more quickly, because everyone has their own shit, but Mm -hmm. perhaps in different ways, like I said. So, my dad's an alcoholic, and always has been, whatever. Um, So, I think in terms of real-life issues like addiction... And also I would come home and my mom would be in a dark room just drinking and she'd be like, get out the living room and keep the light off. And that was it. Like, that's what I'd see of her. Mm-hmm. So I think in terms of stuff like that, as I've grown up, I've appreciated, like, it's not just stuff around addiction, but also mental health. So my mom's always struggled with her mental health. So stuff like that was never new to me as I was growing so up. So you witnessed so many yeah, of those things so growing up. I never really got to, I don't know, my teenage years and was, because I was exposed to it already, I I just sort of got on with it and I was used to it. But, so, did, you, but did you get that those were mental health issues and not just, you know, a feeling of bad parenting or, like, not being connected in the family? or Like, like did you understand or was it just you, you witnessed maybe more erratic behaviour? I think so because at the same time as witnessing it, my mum would be like, or oh, I didn't see my dad that much, but... Like, they would be quite open. So my mum would be like, oh, your dad's an alcoholic and he uses drugs. And my mum would be like, oh, I'm so depressed. Like, I just Got want to it. kill myself. So they would use the words, sure. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I think even if I couldn't identify it I didn't have a reference point, I think that as I became older and then I started to understand it a bit more, you know, it wasn't like a sudden realisation as I got to, I don't know, 13, 14, 15. I was like, oh, shit. That's been happening. Oh, it was real and you know present I mean? in your life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you think that that sort of, I want to say toughened you up, you know, the resilience thing, like, did that sort of prep you for, like, what was to come? So there was some domestic violence for a while with one of my mom's partners, and then I got referred to, like, counselling services in school when I was in primary school, because police were involved and shit. And um, I remember just saying to this counsellor, I was like, so she'd sit me down and there were all these toys and she'd be like, right, tell me how you feel. And I'd be like, I have no emotion. I was like, I have nothing. You're cut off. Like, literally for years, I like, 
met this woman and I was like, I have no emotion, like none whatsoever. Like, what's the point? Could you talk about your feelings without feeling them, so to speak? No, you're just like cut off. I just didn't think they existed. I thought it was a load of shit. I was like, sure. not everyone has emotions and I'm one of them. <laughs> oh, I see. Psychopath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you thought that you were right. Okay, so you had a complex history <laughs> that sort of meant that you were aware of these sort of topics, but, mm. did, but sort of impacted you. It impacted how you were able to communicate emotionally and how you were perhaps able to cope. Or I say that you had to cope with certain things for so long yeah. that eventually it led to somewhere. Cool. Let's, let's like, cool. So it led somewhere. Cool. Joel, <laughs> give us a little bit of context of, of growing up for you. Similar question. Like, do you think that you were prepped? Did you, did you build your resilience as a, as a child? <sighs> so, um, <laughs> like, growing up, I didn't really have any idea kind of what mental health was. It wasn't really spoken about at home. Okay. I don't know. Um, oh, gosh, now my mind's gone blank. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine, don't worry. Yes, it wasn't as if it was clear and present that there was, like, mental health as a thing around you. No, not at all. Like, we didn't learn about it in school. Um, no. Like, parents didn't talk about it. I don't know, I guess, like, like I had counselling from, like, the age of... 10, but this was due to everybody just thinking I was just an angry Boy. child and... You needed help. Primary school, yeah. Do you remember being angry? Like, what, that you were, were you angry about something? Or was I was something? angry, but I think it was because, like, of my parents' relationship, how that just, like, disintegrated and how they just didn't talk. They, like, lived, like, what, like, 20 minutes away from each other, but it was like, I'd live with my dad and I'd see my mum on weekends, but then when I'd see my mum... We'd argue a lot, and then when I'd go back to my dad's, we'd still argue a lot. Just kind of being bounced around and not feeling secure or having, like, being able to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I think um, because of their, like, like, I wouldn't say hatred, their anger towards each other, that kind of rubbed off on me because that was the behaviour, really, that I got taught. So I believe that that's probably a, um, what's the word? A... A factor, that's the word. Nice. Um, <laughs> it's like learnt behaviour. Like, you, that's how you're witnessing people communicate. So then you're full of rage as well. Yeah, basically. And um, yeah. So you start counselling at, like, 10 or, like, really young. Do you remember much about that? Like, was it, was it helpful? Was it useful? Did it start making you feel like you had a place? Or was it just too confusing? I think at first I found it very unuseful. But then I kind of, like, got into it. And then that's kind of... Like, I don't know, without sounding, like, stupid, like, from that age, that's when I, like, formed really bad attachments with mm -hmm. people because it was, like, I'd be excited to go so I could let off steam about what had gone on in that week. And then, like, oh, I don't know, I just, like, formed a really bad attachment with my counsellor. With the counsellor? Yeah, as they say, like... Should we go to where it sort of impacted both of you in, in the biggest way? Well, yeah. Um, well, sorry, going back to my mm. attachment issues. Go ahead, go ahead. Like, so my counsellor, I remember, we'd like see each other like weekly and this was going on for about five, six months. And then she left to another service um, in a different borough. Yeah. So you had um, to end? Yeah, no, so I had to start seeing somebody else, which it was, like, annoying to, like, rebuild that kind of relationship, but it never really got rebuilt. So I think I left the services. But the most annoyingest thing is, is that the serv the borough my counsellor moved to, I then later moved to that borough, uh. but my services were still 
in the old borough, which was really annoying. And like the one good thing, like to say goodbye and stuff, I remember she came to my year six production. Did she? Yeah, my end of primary school play, I guess. She came there, which was helpful, but yeah. That's cool that, that she came, but let's not get on an NHS rant or anything. Stella, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> <Me>. <laughs> um, no, as in, I, I believe there are so many good things about the support that we get that is so much better than other places. But consistently, I have heard over the years from loads of you guys and loads of other people that that type of thing, that isn't the mm. counselor's fault, right? It's funding, it's the borough, it's, it's maternity leave, it's change, it's whatever, whatever, restructure, all that sort of thing. And, and that kind of break, that sudden like goodbye can just affect you and the intensity of the bond that you're you're trying to create people are just nodding in this room because yeah the you you create an attachment and you probably you're you're in this kind of chaotic bit with your with your parents and all of that and then it comes to an end and then it's really hard to I'm going to say trust again the new therapist or the new person yeah and it takes a while i guess with anyone to click unless you're really lucky and you click straight away sure but to build up that like therapeutic relationship from scratch, I guess it takes a while. You know, even if you know, even if both of you are working really hard at it and you do get on, you're not gonna walk into the first session and like spill your heart out and be like, "When I was born, this yeah, happened." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 even then, even having to repeat, tell your story, right? So this is now the new person's like, "So why are you angry? Why mm. are you here? What is the whatever?" Right? It is very long, but. I guess they kind of like read your, or they have to read your notes, but then they want to get their own perspective of it as well. So it's like living through everything again. Like I've had many different counsellors or therapists in the last, what, like 11 years. Yeah. But like, and just re-going through everything again is just Mm. draining, it's tiring. You're like, well, you read my notes, you should know this. Why are you asking me this again? Like we've gone through this oh, we have to fill this out. Oh, how happy are you today? Oh, this <laughs> tree thing, where are you on the tree? Or like, it just gets tiring, like... Mm. Do you start getting a bit cynical? Slightly. Joel, cynical. Listen, I am probably the least cynical person ever. <laughs> Um, okay, but I get it. But you're like emotionally exhausted yeah. and you keep having to tell the trauma bit, right? When actually you want, sometimes you just want, give me, help me think about how I'm feeling now and figure out some solutions for the like intensity that's in my head or displaying in my actions or that sort of thing. Well, sometimes you do want to talk about traumatic stuff, but if you don't feel you have that relationship. So there's been times where I've been working with someone and I've been like, this shit is really getting to me just like generally. And I wish that I could work through it with you or I wish that I could chat about it with you. But for whatever reason, I don't feel safe enough or I don't feel comfortable enough with you, so... Dude, are you saying that you... I bet this is actually true, that you're, like, emotionally intelligent enough to communicate to the therapist in that way. Sometimes. Or sometimes I can recognise it and I don't say it. Yeah. And to be fair, usually I don't say it just because... I don't want to, like, offend them or anything. There's so much of that. Don't offend the professional. Yeah. Yeah, by saying, yeah, I don't trust you yet. There's something about you that's just... (laughs) No. Yeah. But I've I've recognised it sometimes. Like, every so often, and sometimes it's, like, the oddest times that I'll just wake up and walk into a session and I'll be like, I really want to, like, talk about it. Today's the day. Like, today's the day. Yeah. But it just doesn't happen. 
if I've done that so much. Like, I mean. Yeah, in my own, in my, I've had so much therapy, and I've wanted to talk about a rape incident so many times, and I've hinted at it, and I've hinted at it, and I've like internally begged for them to go. Did something happen that night? Mm. Are you talking about this because of this? But what they would instead do was go on the sensationalist curiosity train and go, what was it about the cult that is still affecting your life? And I'd, I'd just be like, oh, fuck's sake. I have to talk about that story again, right? So it's kind of, I, I feel like it might be similar, right? Where, where you're saying, I want to bring up this thing, but I can't quite say it. And, and then they don't kind of ask what? the direct question. Sometimes what I would find useful for stuff like that is... If it was a service where I had different means of communication, so if I could text, then sometimes if I knew that I wanted to say something, but I probably wouldn't be able to say it outright in a session, and they probably weren't going to ask about it, yeah, yeah. then I would text it sometimes. And then as soon as I text it, I, knew, I, I would text them. And then I know that they would get it and know that they would bring it up. So then I know that, not in a bad way, but then I'd be not forced to talk about it. But that's but, kind of what you want. Yeah, like... It's, it's giving you PTSD or you're, like, dealing with self-harm or, like, other stuff. So you're suicidal. Like, all this stuff's going on. You know that you need to face up, but you it's too fucking scary to actually bring it up. Mm. Or, like, you don't trust how... It, so if you're under... So when I was under 18, when I was in cam services, it was the safeguarding stuff as well. So I knew that as soon as I said something, it, I would be safeguarded. And then the safeguarding stuff... I can say God did more times in my life than... You guys know the system meals. better than people in oh, the system, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, system, um, <laughs> But, like, I knew that that would be worse for me. And so, like, I, safeguarding used to make me lose my shit. Like, honestly, as soon as they were like, we have to safeguard this, oh, fuck and, me. And what, tell me more about, like, why would that make you lose your shit? Because essentially they're trying to guard your safety. Because <sighs> it's just quite invasive. It felt like... Like, I wanted to talk about this stuff, but I didn't want a new referral to social services. I didn't want, I didn't want anyone to intervene. I didn't need that. I just needed a space to talk about it. And actually, one of the best services I worked with were Refuge, because Refuge wouldn't safeguard as such. So the only time they safeguarded me, safeguarded me is once when I was like, oh, I was really suicidal. And it was just because of that, and it was just because of that in that moment. So we could talk about trauma stuff, and if I was still in contact with people, like, it didn't matter. They wouldn't safeguard but they would work on like like risk minimization. So they'd be like, you know, make sure your phone is charged, uh, make sure you have like your oyster with yours, whatever yeah, yeah, it was that yeah. was relevant. Practical. It was really practical stuff. And I was under 18. So it was stuff like that that I found infinitely more useful than statutory services where they it's have like to- rules for the sake yeah. of rules. And, then, and I don't really understand why. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, in my role at the minute, like. I would rather safeguard than not safeguard. You know, safeguarding does save lives, so don't get me wrong. Oh, you see it from the other side I, now. I completely, you do. Even, <laughs> even then I could see it, but still made me want to kill myself. Big time. Do you know what I mean? So it was like... Oh. I do know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, what, and the dangerous thing is if you knowing the system in that way and that that's going to, like, trigger code red or whatever, which may or may not be useful what it stops you from doing is fucking talking. Yeah, exactly. And that's literally the thing that will actually save your life, or can. Or you go around in circles. So I went around in circles for ages. Not around in circles as such, but yeah, sort of around in circles where I could say enough that it wouldn't get safeguarded, but then it would, like, it wouldn't be enough to either reassure them completely or... But it was because I was trying to protect myself as well, and I wasn't doing it in a, like, manipulative way or anything, but it was just, like, I need to talk about this and I need to, like... You're my therapist, and that's sort of what you're there for. But I don't trust you not to 
get other people involved in this or yeah. get, get the police yeah, yeah. involved and stuff. So, but that wasn't really useful, like, in the long run. It wasn't, yeah. I mean, some bits of it were useful. It meant I could talk about certain stuff, but... Yeah, yeah the system didn't necessarily mm. support the situation. Yeah. Joel, I was remembering a minute ago before we started recording that I actually met you in hospital at one point. Oh, yes, yeah, so uh, many a, it, years down the line. It, yeah, well, it was. So in, in a mental health institution, and I came for one of the, the meetings, and I do remember that day. Was it your CPA? Yeah. It was, <laughs> I, why do I keep thinking of CPN? What is a CPN? I do not Community know. Community Psychiatric Nurse. That's... And a CPA yeah. is? Care Program Approach Meeting. Yeah, that one. There were so many oh. people. There's, and and I, was, I was feeling it from your perspective mm-hmm. in the sense where there's all these professionals around a table and there's this expectation for you as this kid, right, to sit alongside it and have your voice heard. And, like, the pressure to, to be like, yeah, say your piece as if, like, a kid who's, like, been in so much distress with that amount of... I don't know. I don't know if you even I, remember I, that day. I, I, I do remember they bribed me with galaxy hot chocolate <laughs> because like when you're in hospital yeah um you obviously have your set meal times so obviously yeah. there was breakfast and education which was basically um a youth club and then um lunch then the youth club again. it's institutionalized you're on yeah yeah and then um i just remember like like in like it was in a different building to where the ward was and it was just this machine with Galaxy or Chocolate. And I was like, mm-hmm. I just literally, I just remember just taking a lot of the Galaxy or Chocolate back <laughs> with me. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I haven't had that chocolate in about, what, like four or five months. Like, so that got you to the meeting? Basically. Access yeah. to, I remember you being a bit disgruntled about being there in the first place. I was, I didn't want to be there. Like, as you said, there were so many professionals. Like, there was obviously like the board manager. Yeah. My doctor, my therapist, you, my parents. Yeah, your parents. Other people, I can't remember no, fully like, who was yeah. there. I remember it was like... It was a full room. It was like the round table. Yeah, I felt nights, uncomfortable. Table. Yeah, yeah. Um, All there to talk about you. No pressure. Okay, talk us through your childhood and like what's been going on in your life. Like what led you to that point where you did, you were in the hospital for about six months, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when I left, well, when I couldn't click with, like, my new therapist when I was, like, 10, um, I kind of, like, left services as such after that. Could you and, just refuse services? Yeah, because I wasn't, like, that bad that they had to make me continue sure. going, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and then I started a new school. Like, I was a new person, didn't know anybody there because nobody from my primary school went to this new school. So it was kind of like I could act like somebody yeah. new. Yeah, yeah. Clean um, slate sort of thing. Yeah, basically. So that went well up until year 11, exam season. Ooh, stress. And yeah, like building up the stuff like that I'd like kind of suppressed for like five years. Um, now you've got testosterone pumping and like all that stuff. Yeah, then there was problems like with relationships and stuff. Like what kind of led me to end up in hospital, as I say, was breakdown of relationships, exam pressures. And then, I, like, I don't know how it started. I must think I spoke to someone at school. And, like, they didn't get it at first until I visited A&E quite a few times. Um, how, come? Was, how come? Well, I kind of, like, 
and uh, well, all of the feelings that were suppressed like just came out, and I just long story short, I wanted to kill myself. So it was like different attempts basically led me in hospital. One attempt was in school, which they had to take. No, that was twice actually. They had to take me to hospital twice, and then they realised like what was going on, like mental health, like. It wasn't spoke about in my school, like nobody understood it. Like even I had a teacher come up to me later on um, and basically just say, I just thought you were just a badly behaved like teenager. Like I didn't know that this was going on because then I started to speak to people in school about it. Um, but when they realised what was going on, they dealt with it quite well, actually. They tried to give me the help um, in school and out of school, but where my school was in one borough, I lived in one borough. I lived in another a borough. One. Yeah. And my GP was in another borough because where I live, like, there's like five boroughs on one road. Like, right, 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 right. <laughs> it's, it's actually a joke. So, like, the borough that my, no, the borough that my GP was in was refusing to pay for several semi services because oh, I didn't see. live in the borough. Just the complication of access Yeah, because there was like three different boroughs involved. And in the end, like, I just couldn't wait anymore. And then there was more trips to A&E and then... It was something like you were texting me. Yeah. Talk to me that. You're both in so... the <laughs> Oh, what was the first time? Oh, gosh. I just remember being admitted. You were 136. Which time? It's like the Bromley one. Explain, you were like, one. explain to the listeners what 136 is. Because so, not everyone gets it. Section 136 is a section of the Mental Health Act which is legislation in England and Wales that allows you to be um, detained in hospital for a certain amount of time. And section refers to, like, the bit of the act. So section is essentially chapter, but it's become a colloquial term for being sectioned, like, being detained. And section 136 is a police power that they have in a public place to remove you from the public place and take you to a place of safety. Uh, It used to be for 72 hours, up to 72 hours. It can be shorter than that. And now it's up to 24 hours. And, Do yeah. you guys see how the patient has become the expert? <laughs> like, literally, she can quote chapter and verse. Yeah, I could not have even described that, even if I wanted to. Joel's just like, something happened. I was detained, I don't know. But yeah, I just remember, um, I found a purse on a train, like, when I was going home one night, and then it had, like, a driving licence in it. So, obviously, the person's address was there and the, uh, like, name was there, so me being me, I searched person on Facebook, messaged a person, and arranged to meet them. Saying that you had their stuff? Yeah, yeah. basically. Like a good citizen? Yeah, and I think about a few hours before, I don't know what happened, I just remember, like, one minute I was at home, the next minute I was, like, sitting on a ledge of a building with, like, a knife in my hand. Let me this explain. is the one I've heard about. This is what. Let this is when I was me, in your life. Yes. Yeah. Let me explain a knife. It wasn't a knife. It was a, okay. It was a cheese knife. It was a parmesan <laughs> cheese knife. Just putting it out there. Yeah. Um, but still, you're a you're a threat. Yeah, I and mean, then I just remember like literally just being forced to the ground by police and yeah. like that's when you tied, were... being carried. Yeah. In the middle of an area that I knew so many people Ooh. just as school was finishing. So it was about <gasps> half was three and it was like in the town centre. And then... Rumours went wild. Oh, oh. I remember I just got taken to the police station and then, um, oh, I don't want to say this because it sounds really rude. Like, there was like, like oh. 
like, I love you guys. I love ginger people. Okay, I love them. <laughs> but there was like a ginger police officer, and I think this is what made me hate like police officers from this certain area. Like all other police officers are lovely. Okay. But this certain area, I just don't like the police there. Yeah. I remember? Um, so I basically, no, I'd recently got my ears pierced before, and because they like detained me under the section one three six, they made like they were like, like. Take out. You have to take out everything and yeah, like, you're a threat, like, yeah. Yeah, and I refused to do it. So literally they pinned me down. There was like seven officers pinned How me down. How old were you then? Were you 17? Oh, no, was I wasn't even 17. You were 16 oh when God. I worked Was it 16 or...? I think. I think you were 16. I think no, you were... No, I was... Because you're younger than me. You Wait, were young. When I left school, <laughs> I would have been... 16. 16. Yeah, no, this yeah, happened when I was 16 years old. Yeah, and there yeah. was like seven police officers. Like, and I remember they like tied, they got the, like, the leg straps, tied my legs, and it's just like forced a child. them out of my ears. Um, and then basically you put me in like a cell with like the door open and this ginger guy sitting outside. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry for him. But literally, I was just a mess in there. Like, I was like... Traumatised. Yeah, I just like wanted to be hurt. Like, I was, was screaming. Um... Like, I was, like, banging my head against the wall, so they had to, like, keep the door open and, like, have someone sit, like, in the doorway. I was flushing things down the toilet. And I was there for about... It happened about three. I left at about 11 in the night when my mum came and then um, they had to get, like, a mental health nurse to, like, assess me and stuff. And then, long story short, they, like, had to... Like, they just dropped me to, like, the closest hospital to my house, literally after offering me, um, you know, food, which was not really food. Like, it was, like, <laughs> a probably a Sainsbury's Basics um, <laughs> lasagna. Yeah. But I, I didn't. Yeah, and then um, I got taken to A&E, but it was just, like, they parked up the car. Basically, I got out, and then they drove away. That was it. So they don't check you in or bring you in no, when you're did, such a threat? they didn't. But you're with your parent by then, so yeah. they assume that they're responsible now. Basically, and then um, I just remember being, like, after being in the hospital for, I think, a day, um, they were like, right, you're going to go into, like, actual hospital. And I was scared. Like, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, like, obviously I had the preconceived idea that yeah. it was, like, straight Straight coats, jackets, um, yeah. Yeah, and then I remember I was texting Stella that night, and I was like... Oh, that was the night. Because I was in hospital already, but on a different ward? Same yeah. hospital. Uh, no, you're, same you're trust, always same trust, but different hospital. hospital. Yeah, and I was like, and I knew the bed manager on because I was like, oh, he's the bed manager for the entire trust, and I know which ward you're going to be going to because there's a space there because there was a space on our ward for a while, but then it got taken earlier that night. So I was like, you're going to go to the other one. <laughs> was the, were you looking for some reassurance, and Stella was at least able to give you some information and basically, yeah. And then I remember like just getting there and meeting a few like of the staff, and then. It was like, okay, so as a teenager, you are connected with your phone. Like, your phone just doesn't leave Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have you. kids, I know. I just remember them taking my phone, and I just felt so... Did you feel naked? <laughs> I just felt like... Violated? I, 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 I couldn't do anything. And then, um, like, where it was a Friday night... No, was it a Friday night? Was it a Friday night or Sunday night? Friday night, it was a Friday night. And I, I'd met a few of the patients that they seemed okay, but obviously, like... It was just weird, like, being there. And then I went to bed, I guess, like, after 
the famous PRN, you know, promethazine, mm. lovely. <laughs> um, woke up, just this, like, random guy, like, just sitting outside of my room. And then... Were you on suicide watch? So when you go into hospital, to basically put you on section two, which is... Is it a nurse's section? I can't remember any of the sections. Section two, you don't have to be on a section two to go to hospital. Section two is up to 28 days. No, it's not section two. No, what's the one where... Five um, two. Five two. I knew it had a two in it. (laughs) So um, basically you're on, depending on how bad you are, I guess you're on one-to-one, like where a nurse from the ward is like, like follows you everywhere you you go. Um, But I didn't know this, like none of this was explained to me. That's what's weird. And I left and this guy was following me. And I just remember going to the <laughs> office and I was like, well, I, I was freaking out. I was like, what the fuck? Like, why is this guy following me? Like, don't know this guy. And that like stressed me out. And then um, they explained it to me and I was like, okay, well, you could have basically told me this before. But, um, and then they were like, okay, you're off section 5T, which I found really strange. But long story short, right. So it was fine there. Mm. And then I went to bed on a Sunday. Woke up on a Monday morning and the ward was a completely different place. There was about 50,000 billion people there that I hadn't met because everybody was in, all the patients were in, all the staff was in, and it was just so unsettling because... You're already scared and nervous, and now suddenly there's so much stuff that you don't know that's not being explained to you. All of a sudden, everyone comes back from leave. Yeah, everyone (laughs) came back from leave, and I didn't know what was going on. And then I got introduced to so many different members of staff, and I was like, Mm. okay, okay, okay. And you don't know the system, you don't know how long you're going to be there. You And and this the whole thing, the suicide watcher, whether it's called that or, or the person following you or whatever, what I've heard often is that that person is not having an empathic conversation with you. They're just there to stare at you. And that's what I think is a missed fucking opportunity. And it's weird because, like, if they're with you that whole time, like, you could just chat about the weather and, like, support that person. It's very bizarre. Very bizarre. So so now if there's, like, shitloads of people, you're like, what the hell is going on? At at any point, did you get a diagnosis? Like, obviously, you've you've had all these attempts. but That came very later. Did it? Yeah. Um... So I was in hospital, let's say, a few months at this point. And then um, they kind of, like, made me a day patient, which was where I wasn't actually in hospital, but I'd have to go there every day. But I'd stay at home. Like, I'd sleep at home, but I'd have to... This was six months later or five months later or something? No, this was about three months later. Three months later, okay. And then um, that went on for about two weeks, but then they realised something was up when I wasn't, like, going in to the hospital. I was just staying at home. And then... um, I remember there was this night that I think everything got too much and I like left home and I didn't tell my parents where I was going. I remember I ended up on a bus in West London. I don't like I ended up in the garage like while it was refueling, I don't know. And then I remember traipsing from north no, from West London back to the hospital in the morning, basically knocking on a door, basically saying how like how I felt. And then they basically said, well, we can't do anything. Like, what do you want us to do? Like, you're a day patient, you shouldn't be here at this time. Basically, so that... And I have a look of shock horror on my face because there's these different opportunities where a simple bit of empathy or kindness or support or getting giving you information or supporting you to be in contact with someone else, like, hmm. would just go such a long way, right? But it doesn't take, it doesn't cost anything. They wouldn't even let me in, like, the famous airlock doors. So the airlock, like, they opened one of the doors, but then the second door they wouldn't open. I was talking to them through 
Yeah, between two, door. between doors. Yeah, yeah. Basically, because you might be a threat, right? Yeah. So in the end, I left, and I can't remember what happened that day, but I just remember that I ended up back in A and E, and then oh um, the doctor from the hospital was the on call. Mm. was the on-call, like, mental health person thingy for my area. And it was just so funny, like, when he walked in and saw me and he was like, yep, you're coming back in. I was like, oh. Yeah, like, I tried to tell you. Oh, okay. So then I was in the hospital again. And then, um, so during my time in hospital, I had, like, CBT therapy, but then um, after the CPA, well, I had a CPA, which you were present for, yay. Yay. Um, After that, they referred me to DVT. Which is dialectical behaviour therapy, people. Yes. His, yes. And it took, like, a good few months to get onto that. Yeah. Um, but it was just before I was leaving hospital that I started DBT. That was fun. It was... It now, was... you both have good experiences of DBT. Oh, no, you don't? Do you say yeah. good? Yeah. Do you really just say good? Yeah. No? No, 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 no. I feel like they can be useful. Okay, wait. Before we get, okay, let us know what your diagnosis was once they finally find oh, No, so at that time it was emerging BPD. Oh, I see, which is borderline personality disorder. Not everyone lives in our world, people. Yeah, borderline true. personality disorder, emerging. Now, now it's emotionally unstable personality disorder, EPD. What a that's nice they've, acronym. They've changed it now, which is fun. Okay, and so and I'm going to pause you because I do want to go into, well, like, what is the impact of that on your life now, right? Uh, what type of therapies helped and what advice would we give to other people? However, let's move to Stella for a minute. Now, we threw in this little, like, side note that you were also in hospital at the same time. <laughs> and you knew the system quite well. So I, I'm going to um, assume that you've been in and out quite a bit in order to um, know it so intimately. So, <laughs> Wards and rooms. And give us a bit of, like, what led you to that place. So um, I, when I moved to secondary school... The counselling that I mentioned mm. in primary school, that finished just because it was school-based, so obviously... School finishes? It finishes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was all right, like, it was pretty chill. <laughs> to be fair, looking back, I was sort of a bit fucked up, but, like, it was, <laughs> you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and it's all right. It wasn't too obvious, I guess. The school, well, in hindsight, how were you fucked up? I just wasn't really... I had issues with attachments, big time. Like, yeah. I would really struggle with attachments, but I didn't know that that was happening, so I couldn't really recognise that, no. I didn't really... You don't understand. Yeah, I didn't really see it as a bad thing. Um, and then lots of, like, issues coming out of that. And then when I was about 13, like, year 9-ish, 13, mm-hmm. however old you are, I started to, like, really start... To, I really started to struggle. So I would... Um, I think that's when I started to self-harm. And I started to like bunk off school. I just wouldn't go to lessons. We'd go out, we'd hide in like alleyways and get drunk when we were meant to be in school. And school sort of knew about this, but sort of similar to what you were saying, they just thought I was being a brat as opposed to anything else. Um, But because I've always known that my mum had mental health problems, I sort of did chat to her about it, but at first, like, I was just feeling really low, and at first, I couldn't really articulate it, but I said, like, you know, I feel so... I don't even remember what I said, but I just mm. was just saying, like, I feel really bad, like, so yeah. what's happening, but it, like, I feel it didn't bad. feel normal to you, yeah. like, you thought, this is more than just, like, oh, teenage <laughs> like hormones that people tell you, yeah. So, um, and she sort of recognised it straight away, like, I've, I've known that she, she... I knew she was on antidepressants, and so she recognised it straight away, she was like, let's chat to the GP about it. 
Um, and I was also sort of chatting to the school nurse at the same time. So I was self-harming and um, she would help me out with like wound care and stuff. So school knew I was self-harming, but I was like literally a hot mess. So I went to the GP, the GP agreed to put in a cancer referral for me and so did school. So two simultaneous referrals went in at the same time. But then school decided to safeguard me. So this is where my like dun, dun, yeah. background music. So yeah. so it really went to shit. Like that's the first time I've ever I ever felt like truly suicidal. I walked out of school and I was like Once they safeguarded you. Yeah, so then they had a so, meeting and it went a bit And shit. so so and when you so say safeguard person. just for people that like it means more people knew about it, it became uh, yeah. like an emergency type situation. So, yeah, so I got so they put in a referral to social services, but like quite a quick referral. Yeah. Um met with my mum people got involved at school yeah and um it was just really shit so yeah that was the first time and I remember saying it to my mom and it's probably like one of the worst days of my life actually because probably because it was the first time I'd ever been like actually suicidal and mm. I never knew anything could be that intense I remember mm. like walking out of school being like I am going to kill myself right now and my mom was like you have to shut up like stop saying that because it's all I would say I couldn't say anything she was like I'm gonna take you to A&E like I was 13 like I didn't even know what being suicidal really was, but all I knew was that I wanted to die and yeah. I was not, I was only going to die like that. Like, I wasn't yeah. doing anything else. Yeah. Anyway, it was all right. Full on down. 13, though. It's all right. I calmed down, obviously. Think for myself. Um, but yeah, so I was still self harming and then social services got involved, but I wouldn't really, I was in engagement with social services. It was all a bit shit, but I did get a casual referral. So then I started to see them on an outpatient basis, which was all right. I. I was allocated to someone for a while who I didn't get on with, so I started to just not engage, I just didn't turn up. And then eventually they let me change person. Change social worker? No, just change like nurse, oh, mental health nurse. Yeah. So I got a different one who I then really got on with, so that was really good. Um, so there's something in both of your stories that if you get on with the person or you feel mm, heard or listened to, you it, like so much can change. Yeah. If you don't, it adds to your like attachment thing, your your anger, your rage, like all that stuff, and it just makes everything worse. Hundred percent. No matter how much skill they have, if they don't have the ability to connect, it's yeah. detrimental to your mental health. Hundred percent. So that was sort of all right. Like we got on. Um, I started some antidepressants, but low key. I mean, I was like fourteen now. Yeah. Nothing too stressful. Social services went away in the end because I just like literally went Is it still chaotic at home? Like we've talked about your dad and just like the context. It's less chaotic. I think my primary school years were the most chaotic because like we used to live in France and then we had to like run away. Like I think that was chaotic. It's, yeah. It's, it's more, it's less chaotic now, but now I'm like bringing the chaos like my head. Like, well, well, you've built up the trauma and now if you feel safe yeah. enough, it's all coming out. Yeah. So now it's like me going to shit. To be fair, my mum still has some partners who I actually don't like any of them. Sure. And some of them are like worse than others. But like generally it's all right. So that's cool, whatever. And then I, then I'm like, you know what, like fuck this shit. I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah. And then, because um, there's stuff happening outside of home and I'm probably not hanging out with the right people and things sure. are getting a little bit chaotic. And then I'm like, you know what, what can I do? Oh, I can just kill myself. So I like plan it out. I've got a date. I know how I'm gonna do it. Like, I've got I've got it down to a T, and then I do it, and it doesn't work obviously, but I do end up in A and E, and then they're like, "That's not good." Um, so <laughs> yeah, I think we can all agree that that's not good. Yeah. So they find me an inpatient bed. So I go into hospital. Um, I'm in hospital for a few months. So is this now when you're in? This the mental is, health hospital? Yeah, so yes, I'm now in a similar mental time health to draw. unit. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm there for a little while, then I get discharged, um, but I'm a day patient, just like Joel mentioned, like yeah. Joel explained. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm a day you, patient for a month. Do you think you were, you were ready? Like, are well, you part I'm a day of patient that? for a month, but and then, then I was in hospital. Well, I was in hospital like every two days, like taking overdoses. <laughs> so then I went back into hospital for like a year or so. And then really? I was, yeah. That long, that time. And then I was discharged to DBT. Although the the discharge was a fucking mess. So And what was your diagnosis? Uh, So before so because I was with CAM, so I really had like a bit of a work it so it was just like depression. Depression, yeah. Um but also like alcohol misuse, so they thought I was drinking a bit too much and not in very good ways. Yeah. Um so it was like leading to dangerous behaviour. Yeah, so they so I actually requested my CAMS notes a while ago. So I've read it all, which was really interesting. That would be so interesting. Really interesting. Have you ever read yours, Joel? Mm. I'm not saying you should, I don't know. <laughs> I've read reports that DBT has written about me when I left the service and they sent them to my house. Okay, okay, so sorry. So you had depression and obviously a whole host of chaotic behaviours mm. kind of linked to that. And then when I went into hospital, I started disclosing stuff in the second admission. So even though... I'd had a few run-ins with social services, so they sort of had a bit of a history, but because every time I had a run-in with them, I wouldn't talk to them. So they only had what I disclosed to the initial person because mm-hmm. I would never disclose down. more to social services. So no. then they I did were. start to disclose more in hospitals. So then it got changed to emerging EUPD and then other reactions to, to severe stress and then PTSD. But then I ended up in DBT on discharge. Although my discharge fell through because actually... I'd, um, so my behaviour, like not behaviour, because that makes it sound like it's being naughty, it's not, but like my self-harm is Your symptoms yeah. yeah. And um, so they found me a PQ bed, so psychiatric intensive care unit bed. And I avoided, like, they had, they had it, they had the transport booked, and I avoided it by the skin of my teeth. Like, I don't know how. Just well, you begging. wanted to avoid it. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I was like begging, and I don't know how, but I did, and I avoided it. But they said, like, you do one more thing, and you've got another bed. A bit down the line... Something oh, a bit stupid. Okay. And um, final straw. On a yeah, on a Saturday night, so the ward consultant wasn't there. Blah blah blah. And it was really done because at, was, at the same time I was waiting for a placement, so a local authority placement, so that I because I wasn't meant to go home because it wasn't safe at home from like a safeguarding point of view, from like a mm-hmm. social care point of view. So I wasn't meant to go home. So um, it was either so it was either like a sort of therapeutic placement or like foster care basically though it's still looked after child but sure 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 it was either like foster care with a family or some sort of like placement thing like (laughs) some sort of therapeutic placement and so I actually got one I got a bed in a therapeutic placement and I was being discharged there anyway and I had like two weeks to go and then I did this stupid thing like really shit and um so the Monday after so that was the Saturday the Monday after that the ward consultant was like you're going to PQ, I don't care. Okay, now in hindsight, <sighs> do you think there was like an unconscious thing? No, because you know actually, I mean? because it meant that, no, because it meant that by, so I, so let me just say one more thing and then I'll go mm, back to that. Yeah. So, so then he found me a PQ bed and I was like, oh shit, fuck shit. 
the thought, <laughs> like proper thought. Um, but I, w- I had just come off section, so I was an informal patient. And if you're an informal patient, you can discharge yourself. So he, before I, w- because to go to PQ, you have to be on section. And because I, my section had just finished. Ah. So I was like, Ha-ha. trying to be smart. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of worked, but in hindsight, <laughs> oh, it's all a bit, it's all a bit So you like, thought, I've got, lose, I found lose. my loophole. I found my loophole, so I was like, I'm discharging myself yeah. at home. But then I did my placement. Ooh. So then I'm going back home. But I didn't think that far because they were like, we've got the bed. You're like, fight, We've got the survival. transport and the Section 12 doctor's coming in like an hour. And I was like, shit, okay. Panic. So I was like, I'll discharge myself. And he's like, fine, do it then. So I discharged myself. And then it was all a bit fucking hectic. So I didn't end up going that day. I ended up going the day after because my mom came to the ward and was like, we're going to kill ourselves together the second we walk out here. So they were like, oh, that's oh. not good. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I think it's just <laughs> compounded is what we might call it. Yeah. Okay, so you so, were forced to um, go anyway. No, 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 so I didn't actually go to PQ. I went home, but then it meant I lost the placement. So it was win-win and lose-lose in some respects. It was a bit, I don't know. It meant I did end up back home, and it took us quite a while to move out of the area, and then we didn't really move out of the area, and we're still in the area, even though we've moved house a few times now. It's all a bit confusing. Oh, for safety and yeah. that side of things. Yeah. So, yeah. But then I okay. took DBT. Yeah, so now, so now let's get into the care that you received. DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. Some people, especially those with borderline personality disorder, I have heard it can be really useful. Like it's the one therapy that matches that really well. Having said that, we just had a little conversation about how it's all about the therapist, right? Mm. Or the human that you're across the room from, right? So what was you, what, Joel, let's go back to you. What was your experience of DBT or, or therapies in general? Because I know that you're now a successful member of the community and you've got a respectable job and all the rest of it. So what were the things that supported you from that time in hospital into your adulthood? How old are you guys? Um, Does tell? 21. 20. 20, 21. And 20, what a life they've... No, I'm 20. Yeah. He's not sure. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so I've known you since you were 16. Off and on. Yeah, it was so funny because the way we met, it was like through some through another person that volunteered for the same charity. And that you came along yeah. with in order yeah. to when I was working there? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So much has changed in all of our lives. It hasn't it? Has. Oh, I just wanna like connect with that for a second. <laughs> you guys are like so like let's just be clear here. All three of us could be dead. Oh, yeah. Like, we literally all could have ended. Yeah. (laughs) But now we've all, and the whole theme of this adversity to advantage is like, we've somehow turned it around into giving back and looking after ourselves and being, you know, humans that can thrive in the world. I say that really loosely. No, I know you guys are thriving. (laughs) You're still 20, 21, you know, there's time. (laughs) Um, What was your experience of DBT? It was fun. I mean, People can't see your face. You need to was, define your version it was, it of was, fun. Also, like, at the beginning, it was funny because so when I was at um, CAMS in my for like with my local authority, um, my care coordinator, fun story. Yeah, <laughs> another <Sky>. fun story. <laughs> um, he was then like involved in a process of me um, getting like putting inpatient. Mm-hmm. Fun, and then um, he was then involved in like my assessment with dbt oh. did he have any empathy as a human he was uh, uh, 
just, you know. No, you didn't feel the connection. No, because I didn't like him, but he managed to pop up like everywhere, <laughs> every <on> stage, <laughs> on call whenever I was going to a service. He was always on call, which was really annoying. Yeah, and then um, all right, so I got this therapy therapist. Ugh, she was alright, right? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she was alright. Um, like I just, I just didn't like the rules really mm. of. Because it's quite routine. structured, right? It's structured. And it's quite homework it's so focused. Strict. Yeah, so the homework, like, so you have group. 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 <laughs> I, okay. I miss group. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so there was like, so was it seven or eight of us? What, in group? Well, we weren't in the same group. But no, there were two different groups. My group was smaller, like five, six people. Yeah, we had like seven or eight of us in a group where obviously we don't group therapy, mm-hmm. which was a bad idea. Well, it's it's, it's, comp- it's complex. It's different. Yeah, it's a bad it? idea because groups is the skills. So groups yeah. is where they try and teach you the skills, and then your individual is where you do talk about your own shit. stuff. But you practice but, the skills, right? Mm. See, with me, I I'm a friendly person, right? So I, I make friends wherever <laughs> I go, right? Totally. So through this group, unless I'm ginger. <laughs> yeah. No, I love ginger <laughs> people. <laughs> but the only thing I remember about this police officer is that he was ginger. That's the only thing. I, I was taking a make out of him because he was ginger. But I love ginger people. <laughs> That's good. I will keep that in. <laughs> so, um, obviously, I made friends in this group, which... Like, do you mean, like, friends' friends? What was the big... <laughs> I just made friends in the group. Okay. Yeah, which, which DBT hated. Like, but because you're not meant to you're know not to, you're, yeah. you're not even supposed to talk to people in a group outside of group. Mm. And that's why we weren't in the same group because they knew, we knew, knew that we knew each other. So they put us into yeah. two parallel separate groups. groups. Yeah. But you're all but this is when you're a day patient, so you're not it's not as if you're on ward seeing these people. But Yeah, but they still knew that we knew each other, so Although in my group I was in hospital with all but one of the girls in my group, so it's impossible so, to control. Exactly. Yeah, okay, but, but they, they have so many but they, things. They try. They, they, they try. try. Yeah. Not that it always works. Okay. So, and, then, and they obviously um, set that out at the beginning. Though. Yeah, That's, no, they, mm. they do. But obviously you don't take it seriously because you're a young person who doesn't like to follow rules. Um, of course. And you make friends. Like, yeah. Even if you don't know them already, you just make friends. Well, you're bonded people. through trauma and through the whole thing that's going on. Through group therapy. So, yeah, right? <laughs> a few of the people that I was friends with, like, yeah. obviously DBT caught wind of it. And they were basically like, oh, um, if you guys continue your friendship, then you're going to get kicked out of DBT. Oh. So then we had to be friends in secret, <laughs> which DBT didn't catch wind of. Which Double was lie. Um, but like, like the rules in DBT, basically, like mm. your therapist, you have like a text phone service where mm-hmm. you, like, you're in touch regularly. Yeah, like when you're not. Um, it's meant to be for crisis support so it's only meant yeah. to be if you need skills coaching so you're not meant although I do you're not meant to be like oh Hi. I want to die or if you say oh I want to die then you're meant to engage with them when they say we'll do this and that you can't just say leave it there no I just want to die because they'll be like so you really have to not? engage and you have to be ready to engage mm-hmm. in order to but mm. one annoying thing about the uh, text phone service is once or on the phone <laughs> service, you can call them. Mm. But if they're with another patient, then somebody else would answer or whatnot. Yeah, they leave their phone in the office. Yeah, they leave their phone in the office, so someone else will answer. So you're just like, who are you? Like, obviously, you know everybody, but you're like, I don't, Hi, John. I don't, I don't oh, deal I don't. with you. <laughs> you don't know anything about my like, story. <laughs> who are you? Hi. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, 
But like the minute, like, so if in a crisis like situation, the minute like you do something that puts yourself at risk, no contact. Mm, 24 hours. 24 hours, they will not contact you, even if you ring, text constantly. Yeah, fully that age. They <laughs> just ignore you, which Is I that meant to be just some kind of I reinforcement? It, yeah, it is meant to be some kind of reinforcement, but I found it at that raw and just like the whole culture of DBT like really patronizing mm. and really based on the premise that you're an attention seeker and you're manipulating everyone around you like that is the premise I thought it was like built on because the 24 hour rule was meant to be if you do any of your target behaviors so if it's like self-harm trying to end your life drinking taking drugs whatever whatever it is for you yeah it's different dangerous for stuff yeah yeah then yeah 24 hours no contact so it's kind of punishing you yeah, Basically, I found it really punitive. I your, thought it was... But then how do they know that you're safe? Oh, they don't care. Oh, whoa. Whoa. I would, I... They, listen, what I mean, they don't... Mm-mm. They don't follow you, you up. They don't say, just let us know you're safe, but we're not going to engage in a conversation. Bro. Yeah, you they just finish. don't engage at finish. all. Finish. You say the I'm next... standing on a cliff and I've jumped and I'm halfway down. <laughs> the, next, the next time oh, you're seeing them is in your one-time therapy. Yeah, and, and then, then... what's uh, that like? You have to spend the whole of it doing a chain analysis. Oh my god! Just to talk about what led you there. Yeah, but it means you've ruined the whole session because you wasted an inverted commas a session where you could be talking about other stuff, like more meaningful stuff. Okay, so it's annoying, but it sort of is effective. No, no, because I would just self harm and not tell them. (laughs) So then you okay? So then you just don't have the trust and you don't build them. You don't tell them. You're hiding so many things. Yeah. Because you haven't built the trust. Okay. And, um, and there was a two-strike rule, wasn't there? Was it two or three-strike? Well, I didn't really... I, did, I killed more than no strikes, but... Oh, yeah. It was just me that were friend of. They, um... But then also, like... So, within DBT... One of the good things about DBT, although I never got there... <laughs> what was And the I did thing? DBT for two and a half years in camps and adult services. So I am. I feel like a seasoned veteran. Yes. Oh, seasoned right. DBT. Okay. Yeah, a lot of words. Six months. Is that they do? Um, oh my god! I've completely forgotten what the word is. It's um. It's a type of trauma, prolonged exposure. I think it is prolonged exposure. They do a type of trauma therapy because they appreciate that lots of people who come into the service will have experienced trauma, although yeah. they're still the atmosphere still isn't nice. Although coming back to it being to do with a therapist, I really liked my therapist. That's one of the reasons I was in it for so long, because that I helps. really liked her, which was amazing. That helps. And um, that's one of the reasons I stuck with it for so long. Anyway, I digress. Um, but in order to do the trauma work, you have to be eight weeks free of any self-harm stuff. And there were a couple of times where I did get to eight weeks free, which is like quite a long time, especially when it's you're- It's a very long time. I mean, just yeah. noticing the scars that you've got and how frequently right. you would have been self-harming. Like, I was fucking myself up like multiple times a day. Yeah. But, um, it's not a very PC way of saying it. That's fine, we can real talk. Um, but then I, so I would get to my eight weeks or my nine weeks or my 10 weeks or whatever. And then they say, oh, well, you haven't done anything physically. But, like, mentally, we don't think you're there, so you can't do the trauma work. And I've always thought that was such a load of shit, because I'm not being funny. Like, if I put myself through two months plus of, like, agon, like, just not self-harming, I understand psychologically you you have to be safe. Trauma works intense, man. I always felt so short-changed, because they'd be like, oh, you've got two weeks left. So you felt like they weren't rewarding you. Yeah, and then they'd be like, oh, but we're not going to do it. And I always thought that was a load of shit. Yeah, but, but from a clinical perspective, like I've done trauma therapy myself for some of the stuff I've been through and like that stuff's triggering. Yeah, and, and I And if you're not like stable, 
But then, but then you should just say at the start of it, or like four weeks in, or three that's weeks true. in, that this isn't. We the don't thing think, that's gonna... yeah, we don't think you're gonna get there. Like even if you haven't self harmed, so just. Well, they should they should say that it isn't just about the self harming. Yeah, or they should say like you're probably not gonna do it anyway. Like obviously, please try not to start self harming again. But just know that when you get to eight weeks, we're not gonna do any trauma work. Do you know what I mean? So I always mm. thought it was a bit. Yeah, because they would say, no, like, oh, you can it. do it in eight weeks, and then they'd be yeah, like, Yeah, yeah, oh, and then, can't. yeah, so it didn't feel like, transparent yeah. enough as far as the process and what you were working towards. Looking back at it now, it's like, it, it's actually very patronizing. Like, I remember what the two, yeah. two or three strike rule was. Right, so if you didn't go to group therapy. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, or you didn't go to individual therapy, I think yeah. twice in, in the whole row. of the six months, no, twice in a row, um, then you'd get taken off the program, basically. But with me, like, one of my ways of coping, I guess, is to keep busy. So I had a job and I was in college at the same time. You did, didn't you? Bear in mind, <laughs> my college was basically... You had a just, lot of catching up to do as well. Like, you missed school. Yeah, I missed, like, a, a whole year. Yeah, you yeah. missed a lot. So basically, bear in mind, my college was, like, the other side of London. Like, just, no, actually, it wasn't even London. It was more <laughs> Middlesex. Then London, and bear in mind, I had to get back to South East London. Yeah. And like, where my college finished, like, I worked it around with college that I could leave at a certain time to get down for, for group therapy or for therapy. Yeah. And I worked out with work as well. Mm. Um, and um, like, there were times where people in the UK would know this trains were delayed or cancelled. Yes. <laughs> we do know Let's this. not get into that because it's not the company's fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> But hey, I'm to be one of those people. Like this is when I didn't work for the railway. Um, and then it was, it was like, so you didn't talk to one, then you get basically in trouble. But you didn't talk to another one, then basically it kick you off. And it got to a point where I was so busy that, and I know like therapy, like DT, it's like the way they see it is life or death. So it feels like it should be the priority of everything. Mm. When that's not the way I saw it. Like you're like but, I'm trying to get on with my life. Yeah, like it was important. But it didn't trump like college or work. Yeah. Like they were all like kind of equally as important because obviously college I wanted to obviously make something of my life and get qualifications and whatnot. Yeah. And work obviously I needed money to live to get to college to yeah, yeah. get places and whatnot. Um and I think it was before I think it was like a month before my eighteenth birthday, and I missed two and basically kicked me off the service and What did that feel like? It was I don't know. It was it was a mixture of everything. So like loneliness, like because mm. um, like I said before, like I form very unhealthy attachments, and my therapist was special, important. Yeah, she helps me through a bit, not a lot. A bit. Yeah, you have However, a she attachment. She was the most patronizing person I've ever met in my life. Oh Jesus Christ, she was the worst. <laughs> but you still have an attachment. They're still yeah, there like, through your pain, right? And then like. I was going through my stuff the other day and I found, like, um, like when I left, like, she got me, like, this notebook thing because she knows I like to be organised. And it was like, she had a little note in it and I was like, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> But, um, like, obviously, well, like, when I left DBT, it was hard because, um, no, so they were like, you basically, you're going to adult services. And I was like, no, I'm, no I'm not, because I'd heard some really bad things yeah. about adult services. Yeah, and that transition, right? Yeah, so I never actually transitioned to adult services, so now I basically just deal with everything myself and have done for like the past two years or so. 
So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about like, because uh, we could talk all night about, you know, what maybe didn't go well in services and the frustrations and that whole side of things, right? But it's so funny because like what Stella was saying as well, like we went to like sister schools. So the stuff you were saying about your school is the exact same of my school. And it's like, where did the schools go wrong? Like, was it that they weren't the educated? Like, yeah. Like, the whole yeah. It's like where they weren't educated about it. Like, imagine there was like, so they just didn't know how to... They just didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Like, and, and then you're labelled as, like, the, the bad kid or the yeah, kid who's... Yeah. Like, even my school, like, I became a veteran in this place. So any of you that watched Waterloo Road, yeah, <laughs> and they had, like, the cooler, yeah? <laughs> Which was where all the bad kids go, like, when they have a fight or they misbehave, they get sent out of lesson. Then once when you were on report for, like, four years. <laughs> Listen, so my school had something that was called... The reflection room. Oh, we didn't have that. So imagine, like, you see those, like, single-style desks, like, what they have, like, in American schools. But they've got, like, um, wooden boards, like, on either side of it, mm. like, blocking Oh, like, like a partition, view. so you can't Yeah, so you can't even the see the person next, next to you. you. Yeah. They basically have that with a table, and you get your work, and you do your work. They basically have that, which I was a veteran oh, yeah. in there, so oh, they yeah. just thought, like, that's the way they dealt with everything, like, if a teacher can handle you. Or I like something. how isolation I is my... a solution. For ages, I did all of my work either inside the head teacher's office or outside the head teacher's office for the whole day. Or some teachers would give me desks outside the room in the corridor. That was nice. That was a nice touch. Um, <laughs> the variety. Yeah, Spruce it off. Um, or I would have to do my work at the teacher's desk with them. So I couldn't sit with my peers in the classroom. I'd have to sit on the same desk. So this real, like, separate you. You're gonna. Oh, yeah. You're contagious yeah. is what you are. Yeah, or just like you're being a little shit. Not like maybe there's some issues. Yeah, but yeah. Just... Let's go underneath mm. the little symptom of rage or whatever might be coming out. Just like, oh, put you on report, which is where. Do you know what report is? It's where, I do know what yeah. report is. I worked in schools. Come on. Yeah. Report. Where everyone's got to sign. Every teacher's got to sign. Yeah, we have like my life. We have like three different levels. So we had the green one, which was a nice little one. But the teacher signed at the end of every lesson. It just go back to your form tutor at the end of the day. Simple. Then you had it for like a week or so. And it was like just a little bit. It was a nice one. Then you had the yellow one. No, we had a yellow one. Oh, but, yeah, we had four different ones. So we had the yellow one, which was basically your head of year puts mm. you on, or your pastoral manager puts you on. So it was a bit more serious. Next level up. But it's all right. But still. it was all right. It's not too bad. Then you had the red one, which was your head teacher. Yeah. Or your deputy head teacher. You had to go to at the end well, we had of red report day too. and sign it. Then you had your key stage one. So if you're falling behind on a subject or you're misbehaving in just one single subject, you'd have to get assigned by that teacher and go to the head of that department. So basically, you're consistently being punished for having mental health issues. Oh, yeah. That's literally what we're saying. But obviously, with myself, like, at the age, I didn't know what was what. Like, I didn't know that yeah. I was going through that. You're just frustrated. You don't have the language to articulate what's going on. And then obviously, so if I didn't know what was going on, like, my school clearly... Sure. And, yeah, so unless you have a parent who can communicate it or if you do end up seeing a counsellor, if there's communication between the school, which often there isn't, then there's kind of no way for them to really know. However, I'm hoping oh, some schools are pretty good. Some yeah, are, some are still, amazing. yeah. Some I've schools heard, are incredible. I think things are changing, uh, but it depends on the, the head teacher. Yeah, it depends yeah. on the ethos, the pressures, like all that sort of things. Yeah, because even working with the charity, yes. you know, um, we'd like go to schools mm. and talk to them about our story. Like, do you remember we went to that school in Reading mm -hmm. when we had to run so fast for that train that we're about to miss? Yeah. No, oh, did we well. not miss that train? Oh, no, yeah, we missed we that. Missed we missed it. We had to get a cab. We had to get a cab. You went to Wellington College, didn't you? 
Yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah. I missed Wellington that day. and jumped, I think. Yeah. And we went to, did you guys come to Brit School with me? Yeah. Yes. You did, didn't you? Yeah. That's when that, I was that, like, no, that was, we did Brit School a few yeah. times. I'm sure yeah. we did it at least two times. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did. Oh, Brit School. Brit School was good, man. It, 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 it is we good. Went, yeah. We went really in good. there and like gave our stories and like, the young people and they're like related to some of it mm. like with us and even after it we'd get contacted like through like social yeah. media like I still have some of them on Snapchat like I still have people on my Facebook like, on Twitter who were it, just stay branded did, um, and do you remember that one when we were at Brit and it was like in the room and it was a small group so then people could come to us like in groups of three and yeah, just chat, and t- to, chat us to us about us yeah. that was really good actually people opened up okay so um, one of the five ways to well-being and the things that we talk about in, in helping to support recovery is giving back in some way, mm-hmm. you know, and that certainly has helped me in some of my recovery. And so, so, and I remember you were working alongside the mental health charity um, while some of this stuff, this tricky stuff was going on in the background still. Mm-hmm. Um, no, maybe not as intense. Well, well, we did. Yeah, yeah some of me, it, was was very, just, it was very parallel. Was, some when of I did Brit, I was in hospital still. Right, this is what I mean. And so just talk to, yeah, like, well, what, did that give you a sense of purpose? Did you, was it actually not mm. wise to put you in that position? Totally wise. It's one of the best things I think, personally. So you were beginning mm. to get some purpose through the crazy that was going on for you because you were beginning to tell your story and, like, I, I don't know. It was going back to what you are saying about, like, giving back, like... Yeah. Even, like, when I was in hospital, like... Shouldn't really say this, but we used to sneak our phones in. I was mm. the guy for sneaking in phones. Like, <laughs> you were I the guy. In, I put it in my hood because the they search your pockets. I put it in my hood because I'm not gonna search your hood. Put it aside and like walk straight through with it until they realised I had my phone and we used to like. Yeah, but what about the metal set? Yeah. No, no, they didn't. They didn't wand me at first. They knew I was bringing my phone in and other people's phones in, so they were wanding me and everything. And I was like, oh, God, I can't get my phone anymore. I probably used to cuddle it when I was at night when I was sleeping. <laughs> so um, like, I used to have an Instagram page. Can't remember that. What, talking like, about your stuff? No, not my stuff. But the stuff. Yeah, like, stuff. it was like it was kind of like positive like messages and stuff. Like people could message me okay. like, just for a general chat. Like obviously I put on it that I wasn't professional or anything. I was just like a young yeah. person going through the same thing. Yeah. But it helped like quite a few, but I still have it, but I didn't use it. I haven't posted on it about. But there was something very clear within your recovery stage about giving like is beginning mm, to use your story helps. to support. It really does help. Like because you're not only helping yourself, but you're helping others that which then makes you well. feel like maybe your life has some kind of meaning oh, and you don't want to end it when you have some kind of meaning right mm. so you talk so let's so let's bring it up to speed as young adults and um you know with or without services what are the things that you do to look after your mental health now yeah or what were the things that just helped you like what clicked like a message that made you go actually i know that i've got to accept this manage it um commute talk about it like what are the things that that help I think generally keeping busy, so definitely the work with the charity and then other stuff that I've done since. Like, you did, you've done so that. much stuff, yeah, yeah. I've done like, yeah, loads of stuff. So much. Um, so that's really helpful and it sounds really stupid, but it's been helpful on a sort of deep level. But also sometimes all you need is like a plan for the next day on a really superficial level if you're feeling really shit. Mm-hmm. So even with stuff like that, like knowing that, I don't know, I could be having a really bad day, but it's fine because I have to keep myself safe because the next day I'm at an all day meeting. And so obviously like I have to be there and I have you to live that 24 exactly hours in order to, to show it. up. Sure. So I found that really useful and still like, but, like this day I find stuff like that really time, useful. Like, yeah. yeah. And then obviously like 
I find the work rewarding, so that's yeah. useful. Well, you've got you're, you're in a purposeful well. job that you're um, looking to yeah. be doing as well. And then, but actually, but when you were saying about does anything click, like mm. I'm not sure anything clicked. Yeah. But when I got offered the place, a place at uni to do this to become a student paramedic. I think that's the closest I got to clicking because then I was like, at the end of the day, just on a really practical level, like Oc Health, I was like, so I had to do a really long drawn up occupational health process to of prove course. that I was like... Able to do, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was like, you know what, like you just have to keep the crazy in a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> That might be, have to be the title for this podcast. <laughs> keep the crazy in. Yeah. Um, yeah, it manage true, it. You yeah. do, you have to manage it. Or, and you know, I was like, at the end of the day, Stella, like, <laughs> you can still have shit days, but things can still go wrong, but you have to manage it in a different way so you can't get one free six, you can't end up in hospital because they, Those they will are going to hold out. you back. Yeah, and yes. they will find out and then I will have to go back for rock health and I may well get asked to, like, step down for a year or so. And I, I was not prepared to let that happen. So you now have a motivation. Yeah, so the stakes are higher. Yeah. There's more to lose. Um, and although I don't always like that, because sometimes I feel a bit backed into a corner when there's more to lose, but then I know that generally it's better. And actually, like, the more I go out on placement and the further into the course I get... The more purposeful. The more, yeah, and the more I enjoy it and the more I'm like, oh, yeah, like, this is amazing. So, like I said, placement finished yesterday and I woke up today. I did not know what to do with myself. I actually cried. I was oh, like, oh, I was like, I want to be on an ambulance. I was like, I'm so bored. Like, what am I going to do with my life now? You found a place for like adrenaline yeah. and like, I feel the most content I think but, I've um, ever felt. Learning is the other one of the five ways of well-being, right? Mm. So challenging yourself, it do, but doing something you ways. love, not just yeah. like squeezing yourself into college because that's what people I say that you have to same. do. Yeah. yeah, but finding some kind of purpose. So I do, you, do you have any routines or things that you're like, if you're feeling a bit shaky, you know that you've got to connect certain people or do you do, you no. do meditation or physical stuff? Like what does there, and I'm not, I don't, I don't, <laughs> but they're like I, different people do different things. To be fair, I just keep myself as busy as I can. That's what you do as well, Joel. Basically. Yeah, literally as busy Music? as I can. Music? Music? Like what's your... I listen to all sorts. Yeah. Honestly, all sorts of Does stuff. It just help with like escape, like, like mood. I'm just blocking stuff mm. out. Yeah. Is it only me that when they're like feeling down or low or whatever, they listen to really depressing music because like two negatives make a positive? Mm, I don't know. It depends. I used to do that. I used to and I'm Not careful anymore, with that now. now. I'm like, why, why am I crying? I, life is good. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why am I listening? I guess it's only me then. I think um, one No, but it I can mean, help because it can help put words yeah. to the, the crazy that you might be or the chaos that you might be feeling inside if the like, music matches up. You to like, I'm sorry, I have to talk about this. Like obviously I, I was at work last week Sunday was it Sunday? No, Saturday. Uh-huh. And I got a text like, oh, I heard this person passed away. Like, I know, like, you knew him, like, mm. and I know you would know, like, can you shed some light? I'm like, no, it's not true. Like, he posted on Instagram earlier today, like this morning, so it's not true. And then, like, I came off the platform, went onto my phone, went onto Instagram, saw the post, and it was like, he passed away. Like, family posted, like, he passed away. And I was like, oh, gosh. Like, and ever since then, like, he was, like, a uh, rapper. Like, mm. uh, oh, yeah. Artist, yeah, like, yeah. And, like, I've met him. Like, I know him. Like, mm. like, I met him a few times, but it was, like, his music, like, I relate so much to it, like, in, like, different ways. Like, and he speaks, like, so much truth. Like, 
And like, since like he passed away, I've literally just had his songs on repeat, mm. non-stop. Like I could drive from my house to the corner shop, <laughs> listen to his music, like. Sure, it connects and it allows you to just feel something that you want to connect into. Yeah, like, it's just like non-stop. And I don't know, like, I feel like I was like, I don't know, I feel like I was a family member, like the yeah, way yeah. like, I just listened to his music constantly. And I was like, like, it feels like I just want to cry sometimes that like he's passed away. Like, and it wasn't like, obviously like the, the like, no, I wouldn't say the area, not the area. The generation we live in today, when you hear someone died, you're like, oh, right, like they got stabbed, they got shot, this, this, that. It was such a normal death that you don't hear about anymore. Like, it's like, mm. he died in a car crash. He was a passenger in an Uber, basically. And just like, like people can die yeah. like that now. That's true, that's true when you see such extreme or hear so many extreme ways. I was just like, I don't know what relevance that was, but it was just like, because of the music thing, like listening yeah, to Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. But what I'm wondering is like, normal life, even if you don't have a mental health issue, can knock you back, right? There can be a mm. death, there can be a divorce, a tragedy, a relationship breakup, like all this sort of shit can happen, right? You can have a bad day at work. Um, you guys are managing historical mental health stuff um, and you've done a lot of work. And I'm curious, like, when life kind of knocks you now in that sort of way, does it floor you? Do you manage it differently? Like, and, and maybe it does. Maybe you need a couple of days, but you ha- you understand that about yourself. What what happens? I kind of have to manage it, like, in my own like, personal way now because obviously a job that I have, like, I've disclosed it. But they said that, like, when I applied for it, like, they were like, we're going to have to get your notes, like, from your GP or, like, wherever you was, basically. But then they were like, because you are under 18 at this point, we don't need to do that. And I was like, okay, cool. But they know about it. But then, like, my job role was safety critical, so you have to have medicals. And yeah. you have to, like, have a certain... Yeah. Like, like... And if now, like, say, if I go there and tell them, ah, oh, like, ah, oh, I want to kill myself, ah, oh, I feel depressed, or whatever, they take me off Seriously. my role, out of my job. So the stakes are high for you as well, like yeah. Stella was saying. Instantly, like, because obviously where we work on, well, not mm. we, we, where I work on a railway, like, they yeah, yeah. be like, ah, oh, you could, like, no, do this, do that, do that. And I'm just like, I wouldn't do that because I'm at work, but, like, I just... Like, the stakes are high. And if I go off sick, mm-hmm. like, even though I'm not even agency, but if I go off sick, I'm not getting paid for it. Okay. Because I'm technically still on probation because I haven't been there a year yet. It's close to a year, but I haven't been there a year yet. Mm-hmm. And you have to be there a year before they even pay you for sick leave unless something happens at work whilst, why you go off sick. So I always have to think of that, like, income as well. Um, so, I, like, my thing is just to keep busy. Like, Well, keep busy, and you both have routines. I know there can be different because you work shifts or, yeah. or you, you, it's uni and then it's frontline and all that sort of thing. But there is something about having a routine, knowing that you're needed, that someone's going to miss you if you're not there. Someone's mm. going to notice if you're not showing up, right? It's about being like, reliable as well. So you want to be reliable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, You want to show up and be a particular human in the world, a particular grown-up. Yeah, and I think I've just got to the point where, like, don't get me wrong, I still have awful days, like, yeah. where I'm like, oh, fuck this, I'm jumping off a bridge, like, yeah, I don't spiral. even care. Sure. Um, <laughs> and then you go, but but I do care. You tie yeah, yourself, tie yourself down. <laughs> and then, but then sometimes, like, I just keep telling myself to have, like, because I don't feel, so my degree's three years, so I, and I'm first year, so I've still got, like, two and a half years to sort this out, like, my head out. 
hundred percent because I don't feel like if I was qualifying in the next few months, I don't. To be fair, now I've done frontline, I I could probably do it, but I think I would burn out really quickly if I was still in the same headspace as I am now. But then, you know, I'm giving myself time because I know I have a couple of years to get there. But that's exactly what I keep telling myself is that that you just have to have some sort of blind faith that you will get there. Like Mm -hmm. you still have time before you're actually a qualified paramedic on your road by yourself. So don't like be present. Don't worry about the the place that you're not at yet. now. So I keep telling myself, when I'm in crisis, it doesn't work. I can't tell myself that. I, I just have to sit and try not to do anything stupid. Yeah. But one day if at, I one can minute like, at a time. take a step back, then I'm like, you know what? You just have to keep, like, fake it till you make it. That's literally what I'm doing. But in a good way. Yeah, yeah. That, no, that's fine. I lived a few years like that. Trust me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you both have, you've taught yourself a little bit more positive self-talk. Like, rather mm. than you're hopeless, you're worthless, blah, 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 spiral, spiral, spiral. I guess, like, with the age, you kind of, like, have to. Yeah, like, you, in yeah. Sense. Like, there's, like, I can't remember which one of you were saying earlier, but obviously you've got a lot more to lose at, like, this oh. yeah. age, really. And you've also so. come this far. Like, you've worked so hard. You've been at, like, that's how I see it. See, I don't see it like that. I want to just tell you how I see it. Thanks. (laughs) I just want to tell you how I see it. Knowing you from when you were 16 and you, what, 17? No, I think I was 16 as well. Were you 16 as well? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because it was British school. Mm, I was 16 for Brit. I'm getting so old. (laughs) Um, No, but I remember some of the calls that we'd have, some of the times that you guys were struggling and would talk to me, some of the texting, some of the showing up at different meetings, which was not in my role, by the way. Um, And it was just like, of course I'm going to show up for Joel. Like, of course I'm like, (laughs) there was, I wasn't even supposed to, I think they requested me to come to that meeting. Um, or something I got and but it wasn't in my role to be your sort of one-to-one sort of support worker we were campaigning around mental health and stuff um but I wanted to show up for you guys but so I have this beautiful thing this is what's beautiful about this conversation and why I wanted you guys on the show was because I've seen your growth from total chaos while desperately trying to give back and then total chaos and then desperately trying to find your voice and knowing that there was something in it, but it, but it just wasn't always consistent, which is the beauty of sort of that age. And when I saw your post about um, being a, being accepted onto uni, I was like, oh, yeah. I was choked up. <laughs> oh. I was literally like, oh, Stella, <laughs> I'm so proud. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. Um, and I think I've seen you in uniform at some point. Uh, or did you come? I've seen, yeah. I've seen you in London Bridge Joel's Station. Joel's an exhibitionist, mate. He walks around in his uniform. Okay, well. Don't. Well, okay. <laughs> I've seen you in uniform. That was when I was working at Waitrose. Oh, yeah, that was last time we were here. You were talking about that. But, like, the sense of pride that I feel in how far you guys have come. And sometimes when you're in it, you don't actually realize how far you've come, mm. you know? Yeah, and and how much knowledge you've got around this stuff and how, how you're showing up at life every single day and literally could be dead. Like, the, the story, could, the, the fork in the road is so fucking clear, right? So before we end, because... you're making me emotional now. <laughs> good, well, I feel like I love you guys and I'm so proud of how far you guys have come and, the, and I know there's been so many fucking bumps in the road. But you've worked your asses off and you've showed up every day even though you wanted to just punch people and all the rest of it. And I guess I, I feel emotional because I get it. Mm. And when you're in it, it's just so, it, feel, it literally feels like you're just walking through mud like every second of the day, quicksand, right? And, and you don't see a way out. But what I also know is that in your interactions with people through the rail service, in your interactions with people as a paramedic, you guys are going to be the most powerful people in giving through empathy and connecting with people because you get it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. 
And I think that's the beautiful thing about turning your adversity into your advantage. So before we end and stuff our face with pizza, because I think it's well-deserved, right? I'm hungry. What advice would you give to your 16-year-old self or to a kid who's in a similar situation with, with this, like the sections and all sorts of stuff? What advice would you give to them? What hope might you give to them? I think it's sort of what I was saying earlier, what just now, is like, just have a bit of blind faith. Like, you don't even have to fully believe it. You have to just keep going. Like, you don't need a plan. You don't need to, you know, have it all figured out. But you just need to have enough, like, hope that you will have it figured out one day. And sometimes that's all you need. Like, it doesn't matter if you get it figured out in, like, five, ten years. You still get it figured out one day. Even if you don't, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just, just, just hold keep, on to yeah, that. Yeah, just keep trying. And you guys are giving people hope <laughs> that, that that is indeed possible. Joel, what, what yeah. advice would you give to your 16-year-old um, self? I don't know. I think I'll just, like, tell myself to, uh, it sounds very, ugh. Not that you would like, have listened at the time. No, 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 That's not yeah, the point. Exactly. But, That's like, in your wisdom now. <laughs> no, no, I would just, like, stick it out. Like, it's mm. going to get better. Like, um, that sounds very cliche. But it's fucking true. That's why it's, it's cliche, because it's true. Just continue, like, well, not doing what you're doing, but just continue, like... Just doing show what up. You're doing, like, Survive. Yeah. yeah. Just do you. Live your best life. And keep busy. Keep, keep busy, but keep I, and busy. I'm I'm very good at keeping busy. Not to too the busy, point, right? Yeah, don't burn out. I, I find do. find your happy medium. I think we all can, and then we can go to the extreme of you know needing to crash in some other way. So I'm gonna throw in yeah. this the other cheesy word, which is self compassion, and and be like, look at all the stuff that you've been through, right? Mm. Like, and despite that you are strong and you're showing up and you're giving back to others. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much that we've all been through in different ways that, that we would understand. Like, I used to say, people should understand if I want to be an alcoholic and jump off a bridge. They should, I mean, like, please, live my life. And you would probably do the same thing. But um, we need to take some responsibility and have some compassion for what we've been through and uh, keep going. Let's cheers. Mm. Thanks so much for coming, guys. Thanks for having us. So good to hear you guys. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.